Welcome back to another episode of the Women of the Word podcast. If you have been enjoying what Jen has been teaching over the past several weeks, you will love her other books with Crossway. She has written, in his image, 10 ways God calls us to reflect his character, along with, none like him, 10 ways God is different from us and why that's a good thing. Both books explore truths from scripture to help us identify who we are and who God is. You should also check out her other book, 10 Words to Live By, Delighting in and Doing What God Commands, which shows how the Ten Commandments are still valuable for our lives today. Check out these books and others that she contributed to by following the links in the show notes. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Women of the Word podcast. I'm Lauren Susanto here with Jen Wilkin. So Jen, one of the reasons that we're talking to you about Bible study is because of your experience as a Bible study teacher and leader. And when I personally think about teaching the Bible, I instantly think of people like you or other my pastors Mm -hmm. or other authors or speakers that I trust Mm -hmm. um, who have knowledge of the Bible from a formal education or something like that. It's hard for me to think of myself as someone who can teach the Bible. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There is in the Bible a specific call to teaching, right? That yeah. we see as a, as a spiritual gift or however you want to say it. And then there is also a general call that goes out to all believers. And we find that several places. We find a lot of places, actually. In the New Testament, you see it in the Great Commission where it says that we're to go and make disciples teaching them to observe all that he has commanded, which would imply or actually would say actually on plain sight that those who are followers of Christ will by definition turn and tell someone else. Um, But that's actually not a new concept at the time that Jesus says it, because back in the Old Testament, we have all of these calls that one generation will tell the next of the Lord's faithfulness and his mighty acts and his deeds. Um, Deuteronomy chapter six, most parents know, you know, about training up your children and telling them as you're rising up and lying down and going about your way. And so we understand it in terms of the transmission of an ancient faith, that it's necessary that that faith be transmitted through the business of teaching. And we're all called to do that in some, to some degree. Yeah, just the context can right. look different for different people. That's so right. your context versus my context yeah, different, can be very different. But using some of the same skills. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think it might be helpful in this episode if we give some tips for different people in different contexts yeah. on how right. to teach the Bible. So maybe let's start on just a one-on-one context, which might be the context that I personally find myself mm-hmm. in the most. I'm not necessarily going to be standing on a stage talking to a bunch of people yeah. about teaching the Bible, which is fine yes. by me. But it would be very common for me to be with a friend of mine going over something that we're reading together or learning together or in a small group context. So what kinds of tips do you have for people like me who find themselves in just a very normal one-on-one situation with a friend or a neighbor? Mm, Okay. First of all, I would just say don't make it weird. Right. You know, like, can you imagine if you took what I'm doing on a platform and then you just dropped it into a one-on-one conversation? Yeah. Yeah, No one wants to be talked at. In fact, as we move through this, you'll see that even as we get to situations that are large format, like I teach in, even in that setting where one person is talking to a lot of people, no one wants to be talked at. Mm. So this is pretty top of mind when it's just you and one other person. And so like, don't make it weird. Let it be a dialogue. Let it be a conversation. And one of the ways that we always talk to small group leaders in my local church setting, which I think is also pertinent to those one-on-one times, is you don't have to be an expert 
You know, you don't have to have the answer to every single thing. What you need to have is a willingness to walk with someone and find the answers that you don't have and help have some shared light between the two of you. So when you're in a one-on-one -on -one setting, one person is probably not authoritatively teaching another in, a, in any kind of lecture setting, but you can have some sort of more authoritative teaching piece like a curriculum that yeah. is leading you through, or maybe you're both listening to the same teaching and then you're discussing it and trying to um, have your own reading of the scripture knock up against that so that you can say, you know, do we think this is accurate? What do we think was most helpful? What do we wish had been talked about? So it might not just be two people in a room talking about the Bible, although that can be fantastic. Yeah, uh, it might be that you're pulling in someone else. But if it is just the two of you talking about the Bible, then I would say read it repetitively together and then compare notes on what you marked and what was interesting to you, and then go and have a shared um, experience of reading some commentary or teaching together that helps shape your thinking. I think it's really freeing to hear that you don't have to be an expert to mm -hmm. do this mm -hmm. and that you know, we talked about the tools, the Bible study tools that are available to us mm -hmm. in the last episode. Mm -hmm. And so some of it's just kind of being willing to say, let's go look and find those things together. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy, especially, you know, for me to think, why, well, what if I don't know something or what if I don't have the, all the answers? So therefore I'm just not going to yeah. at all. Well, I mean, you go back to, again, um, do your best to present yourself as a worker unashamed. It doesn't say do your best to present yourself as a an exceptional worker or as an expert right. in your trade. Yeah, perfectly. It says that you would be unashamed, right? Yeah. Meaning that similarly to what we see in the parables, you took what you were given and you did what you could with it, right? So mm -hmm. whatever your resources are. And so I think that's true in any of these teaching settings is you're asking what have I been given? And then therefore, what can I give out of what I have received? And how can I do that to the best of my ability and my skill um, up to this point? Yeah. So maybe in a slightly different context, you mentioned the passage in Deuteronomy about training your children mm -hmm. up mm -hmm. in the way they should go. What would you say to moms at home as they teach their kids the Bible? Mm -hmm. I'm not just going to address this to moms because I know that some of you are not moms and you also need to be training the next generation as well. Whether we ever become biological moms or not, we if we stay in the church long enough, we become spiritual mothers to another generation uh, of younger believers. And so I think when we think about uh, specifically with teaching children who are in our home or maybe it's children you're teaching in a Sunday school class or a youth group setting, uh, you're asking, um, how do I communicate essential truths in plain language? Mm -hmm. And um, my first formal teaching uh, setting in the church was in seventh grade girls' Bible study. It was their Sunday school wow, class. Yeah. And I remember thinking, I'm going to put in my time here until I get to go to the show and actually teach <laughs> full grown adults. And what I didn't realize at the time was that the skills that I was using to teach young people were the same skills I was going to need to teach older people as well. My husband, our whole marriage has taught children's ministry. He's one of our lead teachers in the children's ministry area, which means that he's exceptionally good at explaining complex ideas to people of all ages. Um, and biblical truths are in that category. And so um, I think when you're thinking about having conversations with children, you're thinking, what is developmentally appropriate word choice? 
what, um, this is a big one, especially with younger children, you're thinking in terms of what concepts, concepts are more abstract and what concepts are more concrete because just based on cognitive abilities of children, you wanna know kind of where they are cognitively before you start talking about concepts. And so this is actually with children, um, Christian parents have a tendency to pounce on, um, we're all born in sin, we're dead in sin, we're dead in sin, we're dead in sin, and a kid is like, I'm sorry, what is sin, what? You know, right. and, and if you think about it, the Bible doesn't even start with, we're dead in sin. The Bible starts with, um, well, it starts with theology, the knowledge of God in Genesis one, and then it moves to anthropology, um, that we're all made in the image of God. And yeah. so I think when we think about talking to our children, if we would follow the pattern of the Bible, we're setting them up um, for a more um, foundational understanding. So you start by telling them who God is. You know, God knows everything. God is in charge of everything. And you give them the attributes of God, which they may only be able to repeat back to you at first, but you're giving time for those things to take root. And then you move from there to you're made in the image of God. God made you. That means that you have value. You're precious. And we spend a lot of time there. And then at the point that a child begins to be old enough to be aware of how their actions are impacting others in very concrete ways, then they're very ready for you to talk about, hey, not everything is right, is it? No. Why? Because we're all born in sin. Um, so I think thinking about the order and timing in which we talk to our children about things matters, but that the key thing we want to think about is how can I take ideas that are adult-sized and then say them in language that um, communicates them age-appropriately to kids yeah. and teach them to read. Like if a child can read, a child can start reading repetitively. Yeah. and having a discussion with you. What did that look like in your own home, in your own life? How did you teach your own children the truths of the Bible? Yeah, so um, there's what we um, what we trained and then there's what they just picked up, right? Every parent can tell you more is caught than taught. So I'm gonna tell you some of the structured things that we did and then I'm going to give you a follow-up thought. Okay, but right. uh, so, you know, when you have small children, here's how this works. You have um, a high level of frequency and a low level of depth, right? So you're able yeah. to do a lot often, but it's not very deep. And then as your kids get older, those lines are gonna cross mm. and you're gonna end up having a lower level of frequency that you're talking, meeting, together to talk about things, but a greater level of depth that you can reach. And so it's important as a parent to understand that's the way that's gonna play out so that you're not with a 15 year old lamenting that you're not doing something every night anymore. You're saying, oh, this is actually great. We have one family dinner where we're sitting down and everybody's read the same passage and they're coming with two observations and two questions and that's gonna make up our discussion time. So that's kind of what it looked like in our home. When the kids were little, it was little, little bites of things. We tried to teach them the big story of the Bible, which I think is a huge gift to give to your kids. A lot of adults can't even tell that, yeah, right? Right. We tried right. to teach them attributes. And then as they got older, it was let's read through books of the Bible together and discuss them to the degree that was age appropriate for the kids at a particular age. So those are the structured things. Okay. Uh, we never said you have to sit down every morning and read your Bible. We never said anything, you know, that formulaic. But I really think that the reason that the kids developed a regular pattern of interaction with the scripture had everything to do with having seen Jeff and me do it regularly. They just knew it mattered to us. And so at one point, Jeff uh, moved his time in the scriptures to later in the morning because he realized he was doing it before the kids got up. 
and then it would be good for the kids to actually see him sitting at the table and doing it. So if you're thinking through like, what are they watching? You know, with me, I'm like always mumbling in my bathrobe, trying to put some study together. They were seeing me do it all the time. Um, but for him, he, he thought deliberately about how to model that for them too. And that I think that had by far the bigger impact is it's that whole, why do they love this? You know, maybe I should love this too. And just that idea of setting expectations and mm -hmm. knowing what is helpful and appropriate for your children at a specific age and kind of changing that as they get older. And yeah. 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 And paying attention to the individual child's abilities and needs, obviously, plays Yeah, not a one-size-fits-all That's right. Thing. That's right. But what you really don't want is a ton of, like, just me and one child. Sure. Like, as much as you can all be together, because then older children are helping younger children. Yeah. And they're understanding that principle we've talked about again and again in this podcast of, this is not something that's primarily done on my own. It's something that I enjoy coming together and doing with others. Right, right. But just because something worked for your family does not mean that it has to work for somebody else's family, but That's keeping right. those overall principles in mind of teaching the important things, like you said, the attributes mm -hmm. of God, the overall storyline mm -hmm. of scripture, bringing in Bible stories for them to read on their own. When Showing it's them how to look things up in the Bible yeah. on their own. Giving Modeling them, it for yourself. Yeah, skills, just like how do we find 1 Samuel 2.15, you know? Yeah. Showing them how a Bible works, having yeah. their own ver their own um, copy that they own that's their very own. Right. That kind of thing. Right, not leaving that for the Sunday school teacher yeah. to teach them or yeah. the church to teach them instead. So. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so maybe now let's talk about if you are a small group leader, yeah. what are some tips that you would give to the small group leader? Let's start with um, maybe how, it, if somebody is not a small group leader, but they think they might want to be mm -hmm. one, mm -hmm. how does somebody know they're ready to be a small group leader? Let's start there. Mm -hmm. Well, if they feel terror in the pit of their stomach <laughs> and they still keep looking into it, that's generally a good indicator. Yeah. You know, people are always talking about calling and you're like, how did you know you were called to this yeah. or called to that? And I'm like, man, I didn't. I just walked toward the need. You know, like I saw that something needed to be done and I and then I looked over my shoulder and thought, oh, I guess I was called to do that. And I think that's true for all levels of ministry, you know, and that small group. First of all, I do want to say for those who are thinking about or who are already leading in a small group format, I believe with all of my heart that that is where the Bible literacy crisis is addressed effectively over the long term. I don't think that the majority of the heavy lifting on this happens with me standing on a platform talking to 200, 800, 1,000 women. I think that has something it can do. But um, I tell my own small group leaders in my local Bible study at the end of every year that this Bible study is not a success because I'm a good teacher or not. It's a success because of the work that's happened in that small group and I am not blowing smoke because if you've ever been in a bad small group, you know I'm right. It doesn't matter how good the teaching yeah. is, you're never going back. Right. And so a small group leader, when she understands herself as a co-learner and a facilitator, instead of again, as having to sit in the seat of the expert, then that opens up a lot of freedom for her to step into that role. If she has access to good teaching resources that she can pair with just being that facilitator, then she gives herself a ton of permission to be the person who, if there is a question that they're having a hard time answering, she says, I don't know, let me look into it and I'll get back to you. And the group understands that she has a position of authority where she is the one who can, um, who can make sure that she has access to the right places to go to get answers to questions. But the key element that she is going to perform is she's going to keep the conversation going 
and she's going to know how to keep them on the path and they don't wander off down on a rabbit trail. Or if someone says something that you're like, oh, that's not the answer. She knows how to gently steer things back onto course. And she is doing a really important work of taking ideas and bringing them down to the ground level um, in face-to-face interactions with people. And so she's going to know whether the curriculum questions that she's using are good questions or not, because she'll have an immediate feedback loop from the way that people answer. And then she's going to course adjust. So it's a, it is to say that that, that space is mission critical, doesn't really even do justice to what it accomplishes because that, that is where uh, this really changes where people do the work together. You hit on um, a few points about facilitating conversations, the role of a small group leader in facilitating conversations. Mm -hmm. What do you have tip-wise for people on how to do that well? I think sometimes that can be such a hard thing to Mm -hmm. balance. You want Mm -hmm. people to feel like they can contribute, Mm -hmm. but you also don't want it to kind of devolve into something that it's not. So I know probably every group is different, Mm -hmm. every small group leader probably handles that a little differently. Are there some good principles that small group leaders can keep in mind as they do that? Yeah, there are some similarities. And some of this will be what people are accustomed to doing before they come into a group that's more literacy focused. And so it's a resetting of expectations. We're going to have a thought level discussion. It doesn't mean that we won't talk about how we feel about what we're learning, but it means that we're going to keep time to talk about the things that we're seeing in the Bible. We're going to keep time for our thinking to be developed so that our feelings will be informed by our thinking. So that's, you wouldn't necessarily have to say that to the group, although that is an expectation that we set um, each semester in my own study as we say, you know, I do want your heart, but I really want your mind because I know that you know how to bring your feelings intuitively to this conversation, but you may be less intuitive about having a thought level discussion. Some women have never been invited into a small group space where there was a focus on a thought level discussion. And so that means you might have to guard, you probably will have to guard um, things like prayer requests and prayer time. Uh, you'll have to talk about, you know, we do want to hear your story, but your, sh- your story shouldn't consume the small group time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and in order to make sure that the small group time is utilized for a thought level discussion, it probably means that you'll have other times when you gather where they can share their story or they can be devoted completely to just let's talk about how you need prayer so that they can understand the purpose of us gathering is for a learning outcome. And that's different than the purpose of us gathering is for us to go deeper in community with each other. Now, spoiler alert, women are going to go deeper in community with each other, even (laughs) when a learning outcome is your highest stated goal. It just means that you're not going to make it your highest stated goal. And that can be a real course shift for women. Um, So, you know, the leader is going to be thinking through just typical group dynamic concerns. Like what if you have someone who's an over talker, whether that means they're shouting the right answer before everybody else can, or whether it means they keep interjecting their story or whether whatever, you know, who's the woman who never says anything? How are you going to draw her into conversation? What are you going to do when someone says something that's straight heretical into the middle of your, you know, coffee cups and you've got to figure out how to steer it back to 
uh, something that sounds more orthodox. Maybe talk about that just for a little yeah. bit. I feel like that one makes me really nervous. Yeah, it should. And it's I've been the in, worst. <laughs> I, and I've been in groups where that's kind of happened. Yeah. And like everyone's eyeballs kind of get a little Awkward bigger. Silence. And like everybody looks around like, who's going to be the one mm -hmm. to say something? Mm -hmm. So what what's a good way for a leader to, to kindly, because you don't want to hurt people's feelings or be right. rude no, or mean. Don't. But at the same time, you also don't want mm -hmm. that idea if it's blatantly wrong to be shared as truth. So, well, and also you want these groups to be places where women feel like they can say, I don't know if this is right or not, but I think it might be this. Like yeah. they need to have permission to test drive a an idea that might not be, mm -hmm. I'm going to mix metaphors, fully cooked, right? They want to, <laughs> they want to try something out and see. Yeah. And that is what this group is for. It's for us to learn in community with each other. And so as the leader who's wanting to set that tone, let's say a woman says something that's just clearly wrong, you could respond by saying, no, that's not right and giving the right answer. Or you can say, well, that's an interesting, you know, first stab at this. Does anybody else have any thoughts in the group? And then you allow other members of the group to say, well, I don't know, I kind of thought it was this, or I thought it was maybe this. And then you begin to say, you know what, I think you're onto something there. And then you begin to direct the conversation toward the the area, that, the, the way that you want it to go. Yeah, so and keeping it conversational. You're keeping it, because it should be conversational, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you're you're preserving the dignity of this person right. who has done a very courageous thing yes. by taking a shot at it. Right. Uh, but you're also showing, you're modeling something about how we gain shared understanding. It's by having the good conversation and hearing other people's opinions and maybe reevaluating your own. And then listening to the, you know, then you can also say, you know, I don't know, let's see what, what the teaching says. Uh, which brings us to another important element of this. If at all possible, I would have a small group discussion before you mm -hmm. look at commentary or listen to teaching. Because if you place it after that, they will only talk about what was taught. Um, they'll only talk about the commentary piece. They won't do as much of a thought process, experimentation process with their own thinking. How would you, how is studying the Bible for yourself versus studying so you can teach it different? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For me, it's not. I know okay. for some people it is, uh, but for me, it's not. I want those two processes to be the same thing. And so I think of it in terms of, well, did this sting for me? because I wanna make sure that when I present it for them, that I'm honest about where I was personally with it. You know, no one wants to hear about their sin problem from someone who's like, yeah, this is not really an issue for me, but you go fix that, right? <laughs> right. So in the area of application, when we're really, we're talking about, you know, besetting sins and that kind of a thing, I would never wanna stand up and, um, and give someone else the hard word if I hadn't first had to stare it down myself. And I want that to be evident in the way that I'm teaching it. And so I keep those two things together because I do need my emotions to be fully intact in the teaching as it relates to what the message is gonna be. And that takes time. Like it takes time for my thinking to inform the way that I should feel. And then for me to be able to communicate that effectively. So I want them to know, yeah, I hated this this week. Now, I don't wanna talk about sins of the tongue anymore. But here are some things that I learned about myself. And there's so much, particularly in the area of um, repentance, that we learn from watching or hearing someone else have the courage to talk about it. So I think that's a big part of, I've often thought about, like with my own teaching, I have a sense of humor that pops out at unscripted times. And I think that the Lord has kept that a part of my teaching approach 
because I have to say a lot of hard things. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to invite people in and say, we're all in this together and we can laugh as much as we can, you know, take the hit. We can, well, there are things that we can laugh about too, but um, so I don't, I don't separate the two. I want my own process of development to be something that is translating into something I'm turning and telling to someone else. I think that's really encouraging because that applies to, you know, someone like you who mm -hmm. stands in front of a lot of people to mm -hmm. teach, but that also could then be exactly the same for somebody for like someone me. one-on-one, -on -one, that's yeah. right. And so it's just the method or the mm -hmm. process that you can use to learn and study the Bible mm -hmm. then automatically can translate into how you can communicate those truths to right. other people in any context. I think it's probably intuitive for people to understand that the larger the room, yeah. the larger the accountability Definitely. You know, on the yeah. teacher. It doesn't mean that you do a sloppy job when it's just one other person, but it does mean that you're aware of the impact of your words is going to multiply the more listeners that you have. Right. And so that's going to shape the way you might say something or what you may say or not say. But the principles are, are the same. I, I want to be the same person on a platform that I would be if you and I were sitting just the two of us in a room. Yeah. So there might not be as many listeners who teach in front of a large group of people mm -hmm. like you do, but I'm sure there's some out there that do that, who have a very similar role of teaching a whole women's Bible so, study yeah. or in, in a church context or a conference setting, things mm -hmm. like that. What kinds of tips would you have for those ladies or people out there who are, who are teaching the Bible to large groups of people? Mm -hmm. um, I think that as much as you can maintain a dialogic feel to what you're doing, your learners are going to be helped. No one is benefiting the way that they can if they're just sitting and receiving passively from you. And so I still to this day will picture the faces of the women who were in my Sunday school class at my oh. first church yeah. that I was given a place to teach because I don't ever wanna lose the sense of these are people who have hard stories and happy stories and all kinds of things that they're going through. Um, and and I'm I'm, I'm trying to speak to a person. I'm not speaking to an audience. And um, obviously you're not gonna be able to hit everybody where they are, but um, the more you don't go beyond your own experience, you know, and start trying to like teach something you haven't learned yourself yet, the more likely I think you are to be able to be empathetic in the way that you present things, but also to be conversational. People are going to have different presentation styles. I have a very con uh, conversational cadence to the way that I teach. Uh, that just is what it is. Not every, some people will have a more formal cadence, but it still is a very invitational uh, um, style of teaching. Uh, I do things like, hey, what's that next word in the verse? Or um, what idea have we seen repeated? Things that they can verbally respond to because it just helps people realize, oh, we're still all doing this work all together, even though we're no longer in a living room. Yeah. Um, so those are just some things you can keep in mind. Once, if the numbers start to get, you know, even above 30 and 40, you start to have to shift the way that you're communicating content, but always thinking I'm teaching a room full of individuals, not just a faceless mass of people. Yeah. It's helpful. So you've been teaching the Bible for a long time. Yes. What would you say is one of the hardest things about teaching the Bible? Uh, it'd be hard to narrow it down to one thing. <laughs> I, I think I thought by now it would feel easy. I think that's what I would have said, you know, 25 years ago is, yeah. well, eventually it's going <laughs> to be easy. Uh, and there are things about it that have gotten easier in the sense that some things I've taught enough that I can just cue them when I need them, yeah. when I'm teaching. But I think that the thing that increases is just the sense of the weight of the responsibility 
And um, who, you know, like Augustine in his confessions, who would ever think that they could possibly capture who God is in human speech? Like who would even dare to try? Mm. And then he says, he balances with it, but who that knows you would dare to remain silent? Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, I just still find myself there 25 years later is um, terrified to speak and compelled to speak. It's that fear and fearlessness. And um, so that's hard, but it's also, I think it's the right kind of hard. And I'm sure you, you wouldn't do it if you didn't love it. So what's one of the best things that you found about teaching the Bible? People are so funny. They will apologize for offering encouragement. They'll come up and say, I'm sorry, I know you hear this all the time, but. And then they will tell you the most beautiful expression of gratitude that is not rooted in, I think you're amazing. They will say, I took these tools and I went to my church and I started this with a group of three women and then it was a group of 10 and then it was a group of 30. And then the whole culture of studying the Bible changed in my church. And I hear that and I just, I can't believe it. Like, I can't believe that happened. I should, that means I'm faithless, right? Uh, but um, I've thought about like people who are performers and they perform uh, a song set and then they go home. And I'm sure that they receive encouragement that they're gifted or they're talented or whatever. But that's not the kind of encouragement that I get. I get, I took this and I built something with it. And that's something that's bigger than just any one particular meeting time where you open up the scriptures. That's that's something that could represent a legacy, you know, in a, in a particular church across years. So that will keep you studying, I'll tell you that. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah. So you kind of mentioned how people have encouraged you that you found really helpful. Yeah. The, for the listener that thinks, man, I, I also think that the lady that leads my Bible study is so helpful to me. What are ways that people can encourage their own Bible study teachers and leaders in their own lives? Mm -hmm. When you hear them teach something that impacts you, if you can, it's one thing if you go up like immediately after the teaching and you say, you said this today and it was profound and I wrote it down and I'm gonna really think about that. Giving specific feedback on things that were helpful is enormously helpful to a teacher. I would say a teacher also needs negative feedback, you know, things that they need to improve on and you need trusted people who are gonna give you that. Um, but then if you really wanna bless your Bible teacher, you come back two weeks or two months or a year later and you say, I wanna tell you how this thing that you said has changed the way that I think about this relationship or about this passage or about this sin that I just have not been able to get past. Um, and that's where for the Bible teacher, it, again, it's that right orienting of, well, I know that wasn't my words. You know, I know that was something bigger than me. Um, and then it keeps you, I think, in the right posture, I hope, of humility and also just compulsion, like I gotta get up there and do this again. Well, thanks so much, Jen, for talking about this. It's been so encouraging, just even for me and how I can teach the Bible in my own lives and I'm sure for all the listeners as well. So thank you too for joining us for this episode of the Women of the Word podcast. Join us again next week for our final episode where Jen and I will talk about why Bible study should always lead to worship. And if you found this conversation helpful, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and we'll see you all here again next week.
Hey everyone, thanks for listening today. I wanted to quickly give a shout out to a great book from Abigail Dodds called Atypical Woman, Free, Whole, and Called in Christ. Our culture today has a lot to say about what it means to be a woman, and this book is such a helpful resource in reminding us how God defines womanhood and how that truth should affect our lives. Grab yourself a copy today by following the link in the show notes.